welcome to the LMTP Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. We are your tough love work friends talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, a career corporate trainer that's about as strategic as a plastic bag being blown about in the wind, Katie McDonald. Here's your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius, and coach who obsesses about strategy like an old chess playing dude in the park, Heather MacArthur. Heather! Thank you. I, lo- I love your analogy. I'm picturing the old chess playing dude in the park, too. Like, <laughs> I'm obsessed. I'm actually it's obsessed a good with those people because I'm like, that's. I would love to do that, just sit in the park and play chess with people, but I feel like that would, you'd have to be super neurotic. But I love your whole... Plastic bag blowing in the wind because all I can think of is American Beauty, <laughs> the weird guy that's taping it. <laughs> that's where I'm. That that is that's the visual I'm pulling from too. I I you know, and they keep remarking on the beauty of this aimless, directionless plastic bag in the wind. So I, I like that. that. I like that. That fits. <laughs> uh, well, uh, welcome everybody to the show. We're we're walking listeners through strategies, attitude changes, and actions that put you in the driver's seat of your own career advancement. Most importantly, helping you understand what a successful, meaningful career looks like for you. Uh, This episode, we're talking strategy and what that actually means and looks like. So let's get cracking. What are we going to talk about? Well, I'm so thrilled that you came up with uh, this topic for today because, (laughs) as, uh, as previously described, this is a serious need in my life. So let's start. I'm going to selfishly start from a point of view of asking you to help me. <laughs> so as a career woman and uh, just a human, I don't have a very analytical mindset. So for somebody who doesn't prize strategy or uh, analysis as a skill that I feel like I I really have down. What is a starting point to formulate? Let's zero in on the career strategy. Sure. I mean, you know, and first I throw it out there because people will say like, oh, I'm, I'm not analytical or I'm not strategic or even like people will say I'm not creative. And it's not, I, I, it's not, I find it not to be true. So you have a brain, your brain naturally is strategic, analytical and creative. And so it's just a matter of what we've been kind of rewarded to do. And so I always break down and we'll, you know, even whether it's career or anything else, I break it down to there's there's four muscles that go into into being strategic. And most of us, the way that I describe it is like we're like Olympic level when it comes to two of those muscles and we're baby leg level when it comes to the other two. And <laughs> it's, you know, the first Olympic level is fighting fires. So things that are in, in front of us, problems that have to get solved. And the other one is evaluating the past, knowing how to look at the past and go, okay, that that didn't work before, we can't do it. And so both of those are actually strategic thinking methods. So it's, people solve problems strategically almost every day, and they figure out, like, how do I solve this? How do I put the fire out? That's strategy in action. Other people, you know, like, how do I learn from the past? That's strategy in action. But as adults, we, are, we're, we tend to be overly rewarded for those two muscles because mm-hmm. it's tangible. It's it's safe. It's like, oh, I, I, I'm smart because, look, I learned from my past. It happened before. And so I'm smart and I'm not going to do it again. And then or this other thing of we've done it this way always and it's always worked. So the smart thing to do is to do it again. The fire thing is like if I put this fire out, then I, I've done something meaningful and, and, and people can no one's going to say like, oh, you should let that fire just burn the whole thing down. They're all going to go <laughs> like, good job putting out the fire. 
but the other two muscles, so that's, those are the, that Olympic level. So consider those like your right hand and your right leg, or if you're left, left-handed, feel free to use the left side. But mm. on the other side of your body is, are the other two muscles. And one is envisioning the future that does not exist and connecting the dots in unusual ways. And those two muscles, I find that adults have very, very little flexibility or strength in because they're not tangible. Like this idea, you, to imagine a future that doesn't exist, you have to be disconnected from reality. And as adults, <laughs> we've been taught, if you're disconnected from reality, you're being immature, you're, you know, you're, you're talking about stuff that's going to be a waste of time and it's flighty stuff. But if you think about it, anything that's truly innovative came from someone imagining a future that didn't exist. And the other side of it is, is this ability to, to connect the dots in unusual, unique ways. And you have to sit back and not be so caught up in what you know about the world. You have to be able to sit back and go, one, let me actually look past the fires and see the big picture. And two, let me, let me be free enough to associate things that don't normally go together and not be worried about that not fitting social norms or anything like that. And the truth is, is that as children, we did this amazingly well. So as children, we envisioned futures that didn't exist. We connected things that didn't, didn't really go together. And then through time, we were taught that's, that's childlike thinking, when in fact, all four of those are the way that your brain is set up to be leveraged. And it's, it's this weird little society thing that tells us we can't use all four of those muscles. But the reality is, it's like, just like when running, you use your left and right side of the body it's like running with one side of the body and going, I don't have time or it's immature to use this other side of the body. I'm just going to drag it along with me as I'm running, uh, you know, to go do these other things. I have never heard strategy described as a creative endeavor, but it makes a lot of sense. You're envisioning something that isn't in front of you. It's not a concrete behavior. It's an opportunity to look at the world in a way that you hope it will be. Am I, am I encapsulating that? Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Like you're, you're, well, you're hitting on it with the hope part of it is, is a lot of times like we'll talk about this career strategy stuff. People come to me and they want to talk about their career. And the first thing I, I ask them, because I'm like, I need to know, I need to know what you're up to in life. So what are you up to in life and what do you want work to do for you? And what I find is they immediately start to talk about what's going on with them right then and there. And I'm like, I guarantee you that you're 105, you're not going to look back and go like, I really want this, you know, VP promotion, or I want to be in charge of this project that nobody lets me be in charge of. I'm like, I'm not saying those aren't good things, but I don't buy that's what your life is about. And Mm. so what I notice is I usually their homework assignment is to go off and date life for a week. And what I ask them to do is to allow them to want things, you know, so you, you described as hope. And I'm like, I think you, everyone has this internal compass. And if you're hopeful, you're hopeful for things that you want, but most people have just gotten really good at not wanting what they want anymore because someone told them to be realistic or they were rejected. And so now the disappointment is so much that they don't, they kind of just have kept themselves at this like reasonable expectation is what people have reasonable expectations. I'm like having reasonable expectations really sets you up to not be strategic because you don't envision a world that doesn't exist. I think it's this fear of not knowing how to balance things. And so really when you're doing a strategy, it's not where am I at? Where do I want to go? And then how do we close the gap? It's where do I want to go? And just being greedy about that, like, like a kid on Santa's lap. And, you know, like the kid Santa's lap doesn't sit there and go, you know, like, oh, I don't think I can get this. Like you, you just ask for it and you'd ask for it with absolute expectation that you get it. 
Then once you're clear about what you get, what you want, and you're committed to, I believe that I can have this, then you come to your, your, your current world. And it's an assessment of your current situation based on what you want. So, okay, so based on what I want, what's working for me, what's not working for me, how do I close the gap? Most people look at their current situation and go, what sucks the most about this and how do I make it suck less in a year? And that's what they call strategy. <laughs> uh, that rings a lot of bells. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's honestly like I do these exercises with groups and I'll say, you know, the CEO is going to give you all the money in the world and all the resources and all the support. What do you want to do? And you've got a year to do it. And they all pick fire. Mm. So they all list something that kind of sucks right now that they've been waiting to be able to solve. So then I, I don't even ask them to share what they wrote down. The next thing, by the way, if anyone's listening to this and you sit through one of my classes, you're going to have to play along with this exercise. But the next <laughs> one, I'll say to them, whatever you did, you can even do this as a little home exercise. So whatever you did, they loved it. And so it worked. So you've changed the nature of the business that you work in. So all these fires that you put out, they're now out. So the reality is different. Those issues no longer exist, and the, and, and the business has been impacted positively by that. So can you even imagine what that world looks like? And then they're giving you money and resources and support for another year to do something on top of that. So what would you do next? It, it almost never fails. 90% of the people that do this exercise now go and fight fires in other departments. Hmm. So now the third round comes, and like everything you did worked. They're giving you more money and resources. What are you going to do next? And this is when people get ticked. They look exhausted. They're irritated with me. Like, how many rounds of this are we going to do? Because really what's happening is they use their Olympic level fighting fires, evaluating the past to do the first two rounds. And now I'm asking them to use their baby legs. And their baby legs are out of shape. And it's Mm. exhausting to do an exercise where they've got to basically detach from reality. If I were to ask a little kid to do that, They would jump for joy, write whatever the hell they wanted, and not think twice about it, and it would lose no energy for them whatsoever. (laughs) I want to ride a pony into work. How do I make this happen? (laughs) Exactly. Well, there's this great commercial, and um, it's it's I've gosh, I'm I'm gonna try to find the name of the company. I thought it was like a it's a soap company, and it was all about self esteem. But they asked adults and children what they would change about their bodies, and Mm. it. You know, they, you know, it's supposed to be the self-esteem thing. So like you hear all this sad music and adults come up and, you know, they sit on this little chair and they're getting interviewed and every single adult calls out something that they don't like about their body. And they all reference how when they were kids, they never felt like they were enough and, or someone used to make fun of them, their forehead, their ears, any of those things. And like, we all feel bad, like, oh, adults are so sad. And all I'm hearing is, It's fighting fires. What's the first thing I would put out and evaluating the past based on things that have happened in the past. Then these little kids show up and now these kids show up and they're asked and right out of the gate, the first little boy is like, I'd have a shark mouth so I could eat whatever I wanted. So that's an imagining a future that doesn't exist. (laughs) Connecting the dots in unusual ways. Somebody else is like cheetah legs to run fast. And the girl is like, I'd have a mermaid tail. Like none of it is about fighting fire. And my thing is, is like your brain is actually equipped for for both sides of this. It's not a level, mm. it's not adult thinking versus childlike thinking. It's just thinking. But society's taught us that it's one or the other. And, and I disagree. I just say, you have to start with the childlike thinking. It's imagination is what creates really effective strategies. And then be able to go and deal with reality of what you have right now. So if you want to create a new reality, 
You have to imagine it. Then you have to come back to your current reality, embrace it, and figure out how to use it to get to that next level. Okay, so I'm I'm hearing that we have to, yeah, I mean, backcast essentially. Look at ideal state and use your imagination about, be bold about what ideal state looks like. And then come back and start making the moves that you need to make to get to that ideal state. How do you get that yeah, shark's exactly. mouth? <laughs> exactly. But so, okay, so I'm still stuck in uh, in concrete visuals land. I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I, I hear that I need to exercise the, uh, the baby legs side of my body. My, my left side is uh, not up to par with the muscles that I've been using on my right side. So how do I start when my current environment is full of fires? I have, let's say I've got that bold vision. I've got this, this strategy. I've got this idea for where I want to go. But right now I'm surrounded by fires. How am I going to compartmentalize or otherwise make room for starting to work towards that strategy with everything that's still on fire around me? So, and, and, and people can beg to differ with me, but I think when you really know what your, uh, what your vision is for what you want to do or what I call your North compass of this is what things are about, this is where you're headed, you don't have that many fires. Hmm. Like all of a sudden hmm. the fires around you, there's a lot that don't matter. And some of them that you thought were fires are actually launch pads that you can leverage. Like it's great that you didn't get the promotion because now you have time to focus on this creative endeavor that you said you really wanted. So there's a lot of things that aren't actually fires. So when someone says to me, I have a lot of fires, what I get is you have no sense of direction. When you have sense, when you <laughs> have a sense of direction, a lot of that stuff falls. Like I remember, I'm going to call this out and you can cut from the show if you want to, Katie. But I remember working with you and you had a hard time saying no to, um, you know, the management and like them asking you to do things and you would, you just, you know, yes, whatever they need. And you're just a hard worker. You're very dedicated. And then you had your twins. And as soon as you had your boys, I saw you say no to things like nobody's business. <laughs> like you were so good at being like, nope, got to do this. Got to be home by this time. This is what's going to happen. Because all of a sudden now you had a clear priority and everything had to line up to support that priority. And you did it seamlessly. You did it. I'm sure it was stressful. I'm sure there's things that kind of, I'm not saying that, that first of all, having a set of twins and, and raising them is, is its own adventure, I'm sure. But the, the work <laughs> stuff, the stress I used to see you kind of wrestle with about saying no, about needing to be home a certain time or not being able to take a phone call late at night, like that all of a sudden, and maybe it was just the first couple of years of having your kids, I don't know, but I saw in that moment a 100% change because all of a sudden you had a priority and you were convinced you're going to, you know, do that priority well and everything else had to fall in line to make that happen. Well, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I mean. What I'm hearing is just find find a an all encompassing goal that is uh, this is now the focus of your world because definitely yeah that was a life change that was the focus of my world yeah I, and and granted yeah that's uh, like you said that's all encompassing but even with career stuff so when people are saying to me is like oh well there's so much fires going on at work and I'm like you're only even engaging in them because you know, you're getting easily distracted or let's use another analogy. I'll say like if you're in the ocean and things are chaotic and there's all kinds of like waves coming at you, the worst thing you can do is not know where you're taking your ship because you're mm. just going to get bounced around by all these waves and storms and your whole existence is going to be how to navigate and survive those storms. 
it's energy draining for sure. It's and it's chaos. So when someone describes me a world that feels like chaos, what I get is they're actually standing still too much. If if they were to go, I'm setting sail to New York, then you go, this is a storm worth waiting out. This is a storm worth fighting through. Or I'm going to go around the whole storm system and I'm going to take an easier route because I have to do it that way. But if you don't have that, it's and it goes back to, there's a, it's, it's a psychological term that I actually picked up off of a Cosmo magazine in my mid-20s. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as I was studying to get a psychology degree, what I was really doing was learning my best from Cosmo magazines. Well, sure. um, but they had the a best article. Teacher. The best teacher. I mean, like they really get a short, <laughs> short stick on some things because this was a great article. It was all about... I, I got it because it said something about like people who have higher life satisfaction and I was miserable at the time. So I was like, I need this help. And um, mm. I'm reading it and it's talking about internal versus external locus of control, which is a fancy way of saying I view my life as me in charge of where I'm in, which is internal locus of control, or I view my life based on how I'm surviving the outer elements, external locus of control. So with external locus of control and, you know, look, I dabble in both throughout my life, but it's always a higher level of stress when it's an external locus of control. So external is what's going on in the environment. Is it good or bad? How do I hold on to the good for dear life and fight off the bad that's coming at me? But if you notice, I'm standing still and things are coming at me. In internal mm. locus of control, it's I'm pursuing something, some goal, some vision, some, some, some kind of thing that I want out of life. And so then I view everything around me as this kind of obstacle course. What is in my way that I need to navigate through and what is there to help me that's going to get me past some of these obstacles? But it's all about me being on the move. And so I, so the example I give is if someone comes back and say two people interviewed for a job and neither of them got it, I can, I can just listen to how someone describes the events to know if they're coming from a high-stress external locus of control or a low-stress internal locus of control. And they're both disappointed. They both really wanted the job. One person says, I didn't get the job. I'm not sure why they didn't really share any information with me. I got to kind of sit and process this, and then I'm going to start to look at what it is I want to do next. The other person says, Mm. they didn't give me the job. They don't promote from within. I'm going to be stuck here forever, and I'm not, you know, there's no hope because, you know, people like me just don't get hired. And if you notice, the first person's describing, it's the same situation. One person focuses on how will I manage through this, and what do I want to do? Because the job interview was just a step in the bigger picture of what they were after. So, yeah, it's a kick in the teeth and they've got to process it. But they also get that it's just one obstacle on the long course to something bigger. The other person was, oh, this, there's this job and they didn't give it to me because I'm in the middle here waiting for things to happen mm-hmm. for me. So they didn't give it to me. They won't ever give it to me. I won't be able to ever get anything. It's good luck or bad luck type of stuff. And that is a very high stress because it all comes down to the sense of control and we're focused on, you know, what we can't control. And so this, the, and it, even, even the book, which I'm not, I, I mean, I, I recommend the book. It's an amazing book. It's definitely a, a dense read and, and, and tough subject, but um, Victor Frankl's man mm-hmm. search for meaning and his whole, he was a therapist in uh, during the time of the Holocaust and was in concentration camps himself. And what he, he kind of took that therapy mind to kind of help him through the, his time in these camps And he writes about how the people who survived weren't necessarily the biggest and the strongest or the most well-fed. It was the people who believed they had something to live for. And, uh, you know, that that if they had this sense of purpose where he even describes how some people, when they finally got out of this horrific situation and went back home and their family members had either 
you know, if they were living for their family, their family had either passed away or moved on to other, you know, to move on and marry somebody else that quickly within months would decline in health and pass away because they'd lost their purpose. And so it's, 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 it's a, it's a startling oh, wow. look, but his whole thing is talking about how, you know, it's, it's man's search for meaning. So if you find what's meaningful to you and you hold on to that, then anything else becomes a matter of how do I work through it or how do I use this to get there um, versus the stress of you feel very reactive to the elements around you. And, and believe me, there's moments where I can feel myself just feeling like overwhelmed with everything coming at me. And it's usually because I've lost sight of what, why I was doing something in the first place. Like, what was I up to in life in the first place? And if I look big picture like that, then I go, okay, I didn't get this coaching gig, but my whole purpose in life is to help people be who they're supposed to be. Like, that's just one person. There's a million other people out there. Let me go find those people. But if hmm. I don't, what happens is I start to spiral. I'm like, I didn't get this gig. What other gig am I not going to get? I'm failing at work. And it just starts to pile on because I'm sitting here stagnant and the waves are just coming in and knocking over. And you're looking at what ifs and you're looking at, I mean, things that are happening, quote unquote, to you rather than focusing on action items. But yeah, I, I appreciate I This makes a lot of sense that Action items for the sake of action items is the putting out fires. Action items pointed towards a purpose that has been identified and is your your focal point. That's your point on the horizon that you're steering the ship towards. That's what's going to encompass the strategy. Just doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff can actually be standing stock still or sitting adrift in the middle of the ocean. Absolutely. And that's, I, I, I mean, I love how you said that because it's, you're still you still put out fires when you've got a purpose. You just put out fires you 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 see as ad, advancing you to where you want to go. So it's you know like someone's come to me before and like oh, I didn't get this promotion. And when I start to dig underneath, like what are you up to in life? What do you want work to do for you? A lot of times they've lost contact with that, and they're just really running that hamster wheel of I'm waiting for my next bit of cheese, and they didn't give me cheese, and I ran this wheel five times. I'm like, well, get the fuck off the wheel. Like that's not even what you were up to. So who cares if you didn't get the promotion? But your your that that external locus control is like, well, I did all this work, I deserve this. So I have another sign that you're on external locus control. I did all this work, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. And you know, to say that I deserve something, one hundred percent speaks to, I'm here in this thing, and I did something. The environment's supposed to reward me. Whereas the person with an internal locus control says, I did all this. It's not reaping any rewards for me or it's not helping me move forward. So let me find the thing that's going to help me move forward. Not people don't appreciate me. Like who cares? I got stuff to do. I'm up to big stuff. I'll find, I'll find the place that I need to be and no one needs to be appreciate me for it because I'm not doing it for other people. That tracks so fascinatingly with something that I heard in a different context. I heard uh, a quote uh, just a while ago that expectation is the enemy of happiness. And in the in what you just put forward, I mean, tweaking it a little bit for the situation, expectation that what I have done will yield a very specific reward, entitlement, you could almost change it to like it, feeling entitled to a an outcome based on specific behaviors just sets you up for sitting there going, well, why didn't that happen? I expected that to happen. Why didn't that happen? So there's a lot of navel gazing as opposed to, okay, so I didn't have a lot of expectations. I did this expecting an outcome. Uh, That outcome didn't happen. I'm not going to sit here and dwell on what happened with my expectation. I'm going to move forward uh, and and figure out another. It's it's like uh, using the scientific formula over and over again. 
you you test yeah go ahead yeah and i, I oh no no well, I, I was about to try to say the scientific formula but i don't remember it <laughs> Okay. I was like, that would be good. Hypothesis. (laughs) Hypothesis. Testing. There's another thing. And then a chemical reaction, I believe. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Uh, Well, I'm glad that you brought up um, expectation because I've heard that too. And I, I, there's, there's a lot of truth in, you know, your expectations is what's causing the disagreement. I don't want people to veer away from having this belief that something's going to work out because I think like, You've got to believe that something's going to work out, but not get necessarily too tied to it has to work out a certain way. And I think when we get really t- that's where I go, like, you've got to you've got to have these hopes and visions for the future and then be brutally honest with you about the current reality, embracing that current is temporary. Hmm. So, you know, like, OK, I didn't get the job. That is the brutal reality. You did not get the job. Embrace the fact you, in fact do not have this job, but also embrace the fact that that is the temporary reality and now move back to where we're headed and what do I want to create? What, what seems to be the next best step to take for that? So that you're constantly on the move about things versus sitting there and going and spending a lot of time and energy, you know, moaning about the lack of fairness in the world and that you didn't get something. And look, I'm not saying this as if I've mastered that. I've definitely had my moments of like, it's not fair. Look at what all I've done. You know, you and I were having a conversation. I'm going to put them on blast a little bit, but you and I were having a conversation because my boyfriend and I have been hunting um, for a, a new apartment. And um, we've, we've, it's summertime and people are kind of applying. A lot of people are applying for places. We, we've put bid in for two places now that we really loved and we didn't get either of them. And I had a moment of like both times, I, like, I spent a lot of time imagining where we put our furniture and what we're going to do and where we're going to, we're going to barbecue. And I would do this little fantasy thing with him of like, oh, and where would we put the furniture? Mm-hmm. And the first time around we did that and then we didn't get the gig and, or we didn't get the apartment. And in that moment, I just kind of like, ah, oh, that sucks. All right. Wasn't meant for me. And I'm able to move on. And he just was like, I need a moment. My day is ruined. <laughs> it's a really hard time with it. And I don't want to laugh mm. at him because my, my comment to him was that his parents must have loved him too much because I was used to rejection a little bit more. Um, <laughs> and it's probably healthier that he has this kind of reaction. I can like, I can let things go pretty fast. So then we went for another one. And this time he was like, no, I don't want to do the whole imagining. And I was like, that's kind of the fun of it. I don't know if I'll get this place. And I'm on this apartment hunt. And so I'm like, as far as I'm concerned, this is the joy of the journey is getting to do this because at some point we're going to have a new place and then it will be new and we'll be there and we'll be tired of it. Like, I'm like, if we don't get to enjoy the fantasy <laughs> side of it, I, I, but I'm very equipped with the disappointment that things turn out the way that I expected. I'm, I'm able to kind of roll through that in most situations. Um, now there's of course situations where I absolutely, you know, fight against reality, like a spoiled little five-year-old, but in this situation I don't. And it's just fascinating to watch him and I go through this in such a different way. And he was like, well, how aren't you upset? Like, do you love that place as much as I did? And you loved it even more. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm used to not necessarily getting what I want. And so, okay. <laughs> but I, I, I just always believe, like I've also seen it where the things that I wanted didn't work out. And then something else showed up that was way better. Point in, point in fact, him. Aww. It's like, you know, if I had to go through all the, like how many dates that I've gone on that didn't work out that I was like, oh, I thought we were going to do this. And it was the best thing or whatever. And I'm like, if I wasn't good at handling disappointment, I wouldn't even give him a shot. You know, so it's it's <laughs> part of that. But I see that I'll bring this back to business because, you know, that's the topic du jour. But when it comes to career, I see people 
not want to go up for another job or, you know, not really be able to handle the rejection of not getting the promotion that they went for and just, you know, letting that keep them back from being truly strategic. And what they end up doing is being, uh, it's called what I call protection strategy. How do I protect my feelings? And that's the strategy they put in place versus, and then they come to me and they're not happy with their career. And I'm like, you're actually being very strategic about how to play safe. And that's working for you because you're avoiding rejection, but you're also creating a great deal of misery Mm. because you're telling yourself that you can't control your environment. And what people don't realize is that is the number one stressor is this idea that you can't control, you know, or influence what happens to you in life. Are you saying that being honestly strategic involves being vulnerable I'm not saying that I'm Brene Brown because I'm not, <laughs> but I but I would agree. Yeah, to be strategic because think about it. Think about the most strategic people out there that you you might you know like if you threw out people like who's strategic, you know most of the time people call out people who've been wildly successful at changing something dramatically. Mm-hmm. But at some point in time, they had to be like this crazy, crazy fucker in the meeting who goes, you know what? I think everything should go digital, or you know what? we're going to create this business and no one even has to go to the store to pick up a DVD. Like we, you know, we kind of take all these things for granted, like Netflix or, you know, iTunes and things like that. But someone had to sit there and go, I got this nutty idea and I'm willing to put it out there and I'm willing for people to poke holes into it because it's the only way it's going to get off the ground is if other people hear it and other people see it. And I'm confident enough to stand by it. Maybe I don't even know. Maybe all I have is the seed of an idea and I don't know what this is actually going to turn into, but I, I trust that if I'm headed in that direction, if it's calling to me, th- that there's some meaning behind it. And I, I think there's a skill of being able to use all four sides, four muscles of the brain of like envisioning the future, connecting the dots, having those great ideas that no one else is thinking about. But then coming back and going, then what fires matter? Hmm. And what about the past should we absolutely be considering that's relevant to this? Versus we've just never done it this way before. Wow. Okay. Well, I've got, I've got kind of a cheeky question. Okay, good. I like cheeky. About, <laughs> about a strategy. I mean, because it's true. I, what you're saying about being willing to be the crazy person in the room for the sake of keeping your ship going in the right direction. I mixed a lot of metaphors right there. I uh, like it. <laughs> but you've got you've got a direction that you're headed. You're willing to be bold and to risk looking the fool to execute on that vision and to make as many moves as are available to you in the moment to keep progressing and moving forward to that vision. What about when it fails? What about when you've said, I'm going to give myself 10 years to get to, you know, X, Y, Z, and it's been 10 years and you have been bold and you have thought big and you have been the crazy person in the room and you are no further than where you started? Uh, Well, I can speak from experience on that. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) On several points. Um, uh, On several endeavors I've had that have gone that way. Well, one, your, your, your purpose is never something tangible. So that's something to be clear about. So when I say like my, my purpose is to help people be who they're supposed to be and especially in the workplace, that's not tangible. I don't have like, I, you know, I, I get a sense that I want that on a global level, but I, it might just be at the level that I've done it now. But like the purpose isn't, you know, when I say at the global level, that's a measurement. So that's tangible. So that's just part of my, my attempt at figuring out how to fulfill this purpose. Any attempt to fulfill the purpose, whether it's like to sell 
I'll use some of the things that I've done, like to sell a script. I've, I've written, I remember starting screenwriting in my mid twenties and being like, I'm going to be one of those brilliant people who my first screenplay is just bought and sold. And, and I got these like amazing nibbles from these very important people in my late twenties that I was just like, see, it's my destiny. And, um, and nothing since then. But the reality is, is I'm a writer. And so I've written my whole entire life. And now in my 20s, if you told me you're never going to sell anything, but by the way, you'll still be writing when you're 40-something, I'd be like, well, that sounds fucking miserable. Like, <laughs> damn, don't do that. Um, but I didn't know, I, you know, like, I, but now that I look back and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I did so many crazy things and I had such an adventure and, um, and I'm still writing and I'm still, that writing is still connecting with people in its own little way. Like I, I just, as I got older, I got less attached to things having to look the way at the time that I was supposed to have them. And even, even dating for the love, like I, I went through, you know, so much dating. And I mean, you saw a lot of that too, of where it was like, oh, because society said it has to look a certain way. And I kept waiting for like, oh, I want the love of my life, the love of my life, the love of my life. And then eventually it was like, oh, I've had this loving adventure of my life. And, you know, I'm not attached to it having to look a certain way. And once I stopped doing that, then I really got to enjoy things and, and better things showed up for me. Better people showed up for me. I think that's the thing is, is like, if you go like, oh, I've really had these crazy ideas and I've gone after it and now it's 10 years in. I just don't buy that when you're 10 years in, you're thinking about it the same way you were thinking about it when you started at year, you know, year one. And I don't think the purpose was to sell something or to get other people to believe you. I think the purpose was something else. And if that, that purpose was really true, like you're passionate about something, then you'll keep doing it. You'll go, okay, that effort didn't work. Let me, let me figure out if I'm even shooting for the right goal. Like maybe it shouldn't be, you know, that I sell a bunch of scripts. Maybe I should just really enjoy writing or maybe I enjoy writing. And then when I'm 50, all of a sudden something hits, I don't know, but it's tuning in each year and going like, what, what feels right to do versus, you know, oh, I'm not successful. Cause that's the ego. As soon as you're like, well, this, this sucks. And like, I'm a failure. Like anytime that kind of talk starts showing up as I'm a failure versus this has been one hell of a ride. Where do I want to go next? And it doesn't look anything like I thought it was going to be. And that's probably amazing in some ways and disappointing in some ways. But then where do I want to go next? That's that internal locus of control. The external is, I did all this. Where's my reward? I didn't get it. I had an expectation. Well, yeah, okay, yep. that ties right back into what we're, how myopically we're looking at, at our expectations and what we assume them to be. Okay. All right. So strategy tied to purpose will guide our actions so that we're focusing and going in a specific direction rather than standing still and throwing buckets of water on surrounding fires. Exactly. And, you know, and, and I think when it comes to, and this is a point that I want to make sure that I make too, is that it's one thing for you to have a purpose and a strategy, but never, I've yet to meet the person, person who's doing that strategy by themselves. Eventually you're enlisting other people. If it's your career strategy, you're enlisting the businesses and the managers you're asking to work with to be on the same page with you on that. And so that, and that could be another topic for one of our other podcasts is, is this idea of influencing people and, and doing that, you know, in a way that's not manipulative. That's, that's really about inspiring people to want to come along with you and support your journey. And that usually means that you're somehow supporting their strategy and aligning with them, that it's not just all about you and what you want because people don't really want to go on that ride. Oh, I would love to do Let's do an episode on influencing and influencers. Uh, yeah, and that that's definitely, that, that'll be our, our cliffhanger to get people to, to tune in after our summer break. <laughs> 
So, okay, speaking of our summer break, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we are going on uh, a month-long hiatus because, you know, we got lives. We're doing stuff. We're, doing We're hanging stuff. out at the beach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> We're working towards our purpose strategically. Part of our strategy yes, is exactly. to be gone for so a month. Feeling- We're getting some, some self-care yeah. fuel for our purpose. <laughs> Which we could throw back to what was the the, the work life balance conversation that we had a, a couple of episodes. Yes, ago. to avoid burnout, we are uh, we're enacting yes. we're enacting some self care in the goal of work life balance and all of those buzzwords. Really, we're just taking a month off. So, <laughs> uh, so we will see you again on the other side of July. But in the meantime, we would love to hear from you. If you have a question uh, or a story that you want to share about your purpose, your strategies, how you've enacted your strategy or what strategizing looks like for you in your life or your career. If you want to hear us discuss something that's on your mind specifically, or you just want to tell us what you think of the topics we're covering and the way we're talking about them, tweet us at LMTP Consulting, message us on Instagram, low man on the totem pole, all one word, or email us at lmtppodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys for joining us. Have a fantastic and strategic summer. Thank you. Bye, Heather. I love us. <laughs> <laughs>